I'm Sherry. And I'm Fran. Welcome to Modern Whittle. Another great show this week. Fran and I are continuing our discussion of the book, Eight Dates, a central conversation for a lifetime of love with our relationship and love guru, Reverend Manish Mishra Marzetti. Before we bring on Reverend Manish, Fran, you know what time it is. It's time for weekend shenanigans and notable events. Well, there's a few notable events, but I just wanted to say I love the term love guru for Manish. Every time I hear that, it just makes me smile because he truly is a love guru. Anyway, since the last time we talked, we had Thanksgiving. I spent it at home with Chris, my guy, recovering from my surgery. It was quiet. We had lots of football. We made a ham, scalped potatoes, kind of relaxed, and just had a nice day. Nice holiday. Talked to a lot of family. It was just nice. I had my post-op appointment last week. All good news. Some of my rules were relaxed. I'm slowly returning to normalcy, including driving. You know, it's such a small thing, like going through the drive up to get a cup of coffee. Things that we absolutely take for granted, including my first trip to the grocery store since before surgery. I make lists for people and I am so grateful for their help. There's just nothing like going to the store and getting your own groceries though. This week I transitioned to outpatient physical therapy. Some more rules were dropped altogether. They were amazed at my progress in less than three weeks. And they told me I can return to my gym whenever I want. I am so glad you're doing well, Fran. That's wonderful. I mean, it hasn't even been three weeks, has it? It's three weeks today. Oh, wow. And look at you. Excellent. I'm walking unaided, going up and down stairs, driving. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely amazing and wonderful. I am ready for Christmas. Started off by attending the Grand Rapids Symphony Orchestra Christmas concert with friends. I must say, the Grand Rapids Orchestra is wonderful, and I have attended this event, I believe, four times now. And it's not only the Grand Rapids Symphony Orchestra, it's also their choir, the youth choir, and the bell choir. And plus, the conductor is a hoot. He is always telling a joke, and he makes this concert absolutely wonderful. The Christmas decorations are up, presents are bought and wrapped, and I am going to the Nutcracker this weekend. My granddaughter and son-in-law are in the production. So it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, except we have no snow. And neither do we. Stay tuned for more shenanigans. We are welcoming back Reverend Manish Mishra Marzetti, Senior Minister at the First Unitarian Universalist Church in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and he is our resident relationship and love guru. Reverend Manish, welcome back to Modern Widow. So delighted to be back, Fran and Sherry, and I'm, I'm honored that you all consider me a love guru. That's a high title there, high honor. Hey, Manish, and happy holidays. And to you and your families as well. Thank you. On this week's episode, we are finishing with the final dates seven and eight from the book, 
Eight Dates, Essential Conversations for a Lifetime of Love by John and Julie Gottman, PhDs, and Doug and Dr. Rachel Abrams. So here we go. Date Night 7, Something to Believe in, Growth and Spirituality. I really like this quote from the Gottmans. Amazing things can happen in a relationship when a couple can grow and change and accommodate the growth of the other person. The sum is greater than the parts. Manish, you grew up Hindu, and I am making an assumption here that Jeff, your spouse, probably grew up in another religion. So how can a couple reconcile when there is such diversity in their upbringings? That's a wonderful question. Yeah, Jeff grew up and is still Catholic in many ways, whereas I grew up in a very kind of traditional Hindu environment. There's not an easy one-size-fits-all answer to that. I think, you know, from the outset in our relationship, we were both committed to, you know, not disparaging or belittling or treating as casual the differences or things that are important to each of us about our different upbringings and the, the different faiths in which we were brought up. That has remained true. So, you know, I think that that is definitely something that, that contributes to the strength of our relationship. Something that I, I don't think you, you would know, Fran and Sherry, but it's, it's a very interesting statistic out there that when um, folks like myself, when we go to seminary to study religion, spirituality, prepare for careers as religious professionals, the vast majority of us that go in married leave the seminary process divorced or in a different relationship. And I thought for sure that that wasn't going to happen to me, you know. And sure enough, in my first marriage, the one prior to Jeff, got three quarters of the way through. And in the final year, right before I was going to graduate, we ended the relationship. So that quote from the Gottmans is so apt. Like, are you as a couple growing together or growing apart? And that includes giving respect and dignity for things that may be different in each of your backgrounds. My husband, Skip, was brought up Catholic. When he graduated and got away from Catholic school and basically college and everything, he chose not to continue that formally. I was raised Methodist. I went religiously until I was in college, but chose not to continue it formally does not mean that I don't remember all the lessons and the history. I have been lucky enough to be with two different men who agree with my way of thinking. I don't consider myself particularly religious, but I do consider myself highly spiritual because I do know that there is a higher power than myself that there are too many miracles in this world that someone else way above my pay grade is responsible for. And I appreciate nature, which has nothing to do with my doing. There's a greater power that has control over that. And I think there is a big difference between being highly religious and highly spiritual. Totally agree. You know, this topic connects to our last conversation as well, which included conversation, you know, dialogue about family and kids and all that. In my denomination, in Unitarian Universalism, it's quite common, not unusual at all, to have 
couples and families that have multiple faiths represented in their family or no specific faith background at all. That's quite common. But it is also common that, you know, when I meet couples or families where there are multiple faith perspectives, they've often navigated arriving at the point where they're going to have kids. And then the question comes up, well, what community are we going to raise the kid in or, and or what are the expectations? And one of the things I hear back is often in order for kids of multi-faith couples or families to participate, for example, in the Catholic tradition, and I hear also in some of the Jewish traditions, you have to make a commitment to the priest or the rabbi that you're going to raise the kid to be Catholic or potentially Jewish. I don't think that's every Jewish denomination, but there's some that require that. So it can become a point of contention between in a marriage or in a relationship, figuring out how you're going to navigate differences around faith. Manish, I want to go back for a second to that statement you made about by the end of seminary, many couples aren't couples anymore. What research has been done to say why that happened? It's, it would seem to me that you would grow closer, not further apart. It's definitely possible to grow closer through that type of experience. So the experience of seminary, it's one where you are typically digging in really deep. It's a personal growth process, learning more about who you are and how you understand what it means to be human. It's very intense. Imagine several years where every day of your life is in, in devoted to those sets of questions. It's very, very intense. And typically those folks who are married and go into seminary, their partner's not necessarily in seminary with them. Some cases, yes. Both people are in that process together. But when you're not in that process together, and this is actually relevant to any marriage, one person is intensively growing for a prolonged stretch of time. The other one is not in the same process or feeling the same pressure. There's a couple of things that can happen there. One, the person who's intensely growing and learning more about themselves, changing and evolving, you have to do a lot of work to bring the other person along, help them understand all the tiny little steps in this major unfolding journey. And the other person has to be interested in and willing to do that, to stay side by side with you as you're going through a very intensive growth process. Some marriages are able to do that. I think in seminary, that's kind of the exception. But a lot of couples where one couple is not, one person in the couple is not in, in a seminary process, it is very, very common for the marriage or relationship to end. The Gottmans say, and this reminded me of what you just said, that the goal is not to make your partner be like you. The goal is to learn from them and to benefit from the ways you are different. And it sounds like that doesn't happen because one person is stretching in one way and the partner is not stretching. That's absolutely right. You almost have to intentionally have that kind of conversation and each person is bringing each other along, you know, arriving at a place where you can see the differences and the growth as strengths that each person can mutually support. That's a high degree of maturity. And gosh, I was in my early 30s when I was in seminary. I know I didn't have a level of maturity then that I do now. And, you know, I probably couldn't have initiated some of the conversations that might have been helpful along the lines of, look, I'm learning and changing really intensively. Maybe we need to focus even more on our marriage and relationship 
so that we are each understanding how that is changing and how I'm changing. I certainly now at the current age I'm at, I, I could probably do that. But when I was in my early thirties, I may not have had the tools or maturity myself to be able to do that. I highlighted just a small nugget on one of the pages in this chapter on growth. And the nugget was a mission statement. I love the idea of creating a mission statement for your relationship or your marriage. I love it. What a neat idea. That's really cool. I, yeah, now that you say that, I remember that from reading the Gottmans. Yeah, what are you about as a couple? That's another way of thinking about it, right? Yeah. What are you about? What are your passions? What are you committed to jointly together? That's a beautiful thing to think about. I mean, often once kids are introduced into the picture, you know, the supporting and nurturing the generation that you're bringing up, that becomes a major part of the mission. And it can't be the only thing, right? There right. has to be a sense of mutuality, mutual support and care, commitment to one another. All of those things can be part of that mission statement, so to speak. The Gottmans also talk about the rituals that you create in your lives together, that they are very important and will keep you connected. One of the rituals the authors of this book say is a weekly date night and also a mini ritual like the six second kiss. So let's talk about rituals and especially with the holidays, there's lots of family rituals that happen. I'm a big fan of the weekly date night. And I mean, Jeff and I have had that commitment in place for years now. And when I talk to other married couples, other folks who are partnered up, especially if you're raising kids, it's not common that a, a couple is able to get, you know, make time for themselves once a week or, or something appro approximating that. It always surprises me because I, I've come to believe that that weekly date night, it's not always every week, it's just logistically that doesn't always happen. But that commitment and being clear that that is the goal, that is the desire, I think it's really strengthened and kept our marriage solid. And without that, who knows, we would not have as much time for one another to check in with one another to process our relationship and our parenting. So I'm very grateful for that ritual. And you know, there's lots of things that one can come up with a family movie night that does include the kids. It doesn't have to be just about a couple. You can include the whole family or extend. For some folks, uh, an annual family gathering with extended family, you know, that becomes part of the ritual or the annual schedule. There's lots of things that can be built in. I think over the past three, four years, as we've lived in Michigan, a summer trip to the up to the lakes has become a, a family ritual of ours that we look forward to. That's an important part of the rhythm of our family. These rituals can look and feel very different. I think it's more the purpose they serve, which is supporting closeness. Well, Sherry, I'm sure will agree with me that one of the hardest things about widowhood is you have created those rituals over the years with your partner. And when that partner is no longer there, the rituals themselves, it brings sadness. Yeah. But it also forces us to start to create some new rituals. We're not done living our lives. We have to start some new rituals and yet respect the rituals that we had in the past. That's so profound. And I am grateful for what you shared there, Fran. My admiration for the two of you runs so deep. And, and, it, and it's from a recognition of being in community. And I have companioned and, and been present to others who have gone through the types of losses 
that you have, Sherry and Fran. And it is so hard and painful because, you know, over decades, you build up these small or sometimes really significant rituals. And then you go through the whole cycle, you know, on a yearly basis of the birthdays being different and there's no honoring an anniversary feels and looks and moves differently. And then all the smaller things that nobody even knows about, but they're just for you and in and, and, and the couple that you two of you knew about these small little gestures or rituals. Yeah, that's a lot of pain and loss to navigate in that. And in the time that I've known the two of you, Sherry and friend, I have had the joy of being able to see how you have built your own rituals and experiences, trips together that the two of you take, the leading of this podcast, which in a way is a, an activity and ritual of sort, even as we grieve what is no longer possible in the same way, we are still alive, just like you say, Fran, and there's opportunities to still create and build more. Yes, this podcast has truly become a ritual. As a matter of fact, both of you know that I have another podcast because I love doing this so much. So the ritual of being with my husband changed, but the ritual of talking about him through Modern Widow podcast has certainly helped my journey with the grieving. I think that kind of leads into date eight, which is a lifetime of love dreams. I loved one of the first things that is quoted in the book is that dreams are important. Your own dreams, your partner's dreams, and the dreams that you have together. And I don't know if all couples dream together and share those thoughts. I know that my husband and I did often, and now I do with my present partner. Sherry and I both know that unfortunately dreams don't always come to Skip and I had so many plans that just went away when he died, but I still have some of those dreams and I'm trying to still make them come true. Sometimes it's by myself. Sometimes I share them with someone else. I just think it's sad when couples don't have dreams to think about, to plan for, to strive for. It truly is what makes life worth living. Totally agree. In my first marriage, that partner and I, our dreams were parallel which is very interesting, right? So it was almost like we were leading these parallel lives with parallel dreams, and then we would intersect occasionally. And what I've learned over time is, sure, that's possible. That is one way to do it. But far more meaningful for me personally has been what I currently have, which is, you know, kind of the, the shared imagining of a family life, of a future, of the years to come, of adventures and activities, or even smaller, closer in things that we want to do. Minor little improvements in our living space and home, those, those become a little dream as well. It is deeply meaningful to hold those with other people. And certainly a spouse is somebody we can hold, the, or a significant other is somebody we can hold those dreams with. But it doesn't have to only be a spouse or significant other. Good friends, people we're close to in any number of ways. All of these other connections are places where our dreams can be held with other people and then brought alive. One of the dreams that Bill and I had was to have a house on the lake. And so we built our retirement home. He designed it, and I did all the interior design. And at least he was able to live here for three years before he passed. Beautiful, beautiful. 
One of the lines that I highlighted was that dreaming together is one of the most profound acts you can do in a relationship with each other. You know, sometimes the future is built on your dreams. You know, sometimes they can be silly. Sometimes they can be way out there. Sometimes they can be very realistic and attainable, but it doesn't say a whole lot about your relationship if you can't look beyond today and look at least a little bit into the future. I don't care if it's making a date to go to a movie that's coming out in two months, going on a vacation next year, doing something around the house, doing a project. Like they said, nobody wants a partner that's only half alive. Uh, the goal in a relationship is to still hold on to your dreams. Well, here's such an interesting thing. This connects to our, our last conversation about family and kids as well. I guess I knew this, but it was another thing to, to experience it in my own immediate family. When one person in a family structure is kind of devoted to that caregiving for children, it's easy for everything else in that person's life to get subsumed by the caregiving role. Actually, the same is true for those of us who've had to care for elderly parents. The same thing can happen on the other side of the age continuum. Prior to moving to Michigan, I wanted Jeff and I to really imagine, you know, what were the job possibilities out there? What were the locations of those jobs? How might our dreams, both of our dreams and our joint dreams be brought alive by these various possibilities we were considering? And what was fascinating was that there was a time as I was trying to have that conversation, Jeff had a lot of difficulty trying to recall and remember the things that were dreams of his. Hmm. The parenting had become so all-consuming, such even like the, the identity pieces that were right at the top, that he had to do some excavating and reconnecting with deeper longings and deeper desires. And the, the good news is we, we did that together. And as we did that together, we gained clarity that, oh, uh, if we move for a, for a job, for a new city, these are the shared dreams that we're, we're holding as a family not just Manisha's dreams for mm -hmm. himself, but the shared dreams of us as a family. It really made a difference. It made the decision to come to Michigan feel like it was a carefully thought through joint decision that was really going to lead to fulfillment for all of us. And it has. You know, dreams change throughout your life. When you're a kid, when you're a teenager, when you're in your early 20s, you do have these dreams, but life happens, things change. Look at widows and widowers. They had their dreams. You can't stop dreaming. Maybe those dreams have changed. Maybe you've had different experiences in the meantime, things that you would not have even thought to, to do in the past, but now you're finding out that you're enjoying different things and it's okay if your dreams change. And as the Gottmans say, dream together, imagine together. Together you can make every impossible dream possible. And with that, Manish, thank you so much for being a part of Modern Whittle. These dates with you have been so enlightening, and we hope you and your family have a blessed holiday season and the happiest of New Year's. Oh, thank you so much. I always enjoy our conversations. And Sherry and Fran, I wish you both a beautiful holiday season and all your listeners a beautiful holiday season as well. Please enjoy the holidays with your family and your congregation. Thank you, friend. Bye-bye. We want to thank our executive producer for her continued expert advice 
and critiques of our podcast. A very special thanks to our relationship and love guru, Reverend Manish. It is always a pleasure having him on our show. Of course, we want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in and listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to write a comment, our email address is modern.widow.podcast at gmail.com. Again, modern.widow.podcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at Modern Widow Podcast. You can listen to our podcast on the following apps, Anchor, Spotify, Breakers, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. Fran, this is our last show for the year 2022, but we will definitely be back in the new year with new episodes. I want to say before we close, holidays are still hard. It is the season of love and hope and new beginnings, but in those quiet moments, I can't help but reflect on what was and how I miss it. And I don't want to cry. This is Fran signing off. And I agree, Sherry. I am decorating my Christmas tree today. And I have so many special ornaments that Skip and I collected on our vacations over the years that mean so much. And it touches my heart to be putting those on the tree. But it also represents something that I won't have again in my lifetime. I know, I cannot believe that this episode wraps up our season two. We are going to take a break to enjoy the holidays with our family and friends. We will be back with new episodes, ideas, discussions, and guests. So please, if you have a topic or an issue you'd like us to cover, please, please, please feel free to drop us your suggestions. And I do want to wish everyone a very, very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year holiday season. Please enjoy your families. The closing quote today is an excerpt from a passage I just read, and it fits so well with the two dates that we discussed in today's episode. Love has never been a matter of luck. It's mutual giving, compromise, shared dreams, care, respect, mercy, and patience. See you next time in 2023. Have a wonderful holiday season and bye-bye.
Thank you.